Our scripture reading this morning is taken from 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4, this is God's word to us this morning. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Though these things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. I call our attention to verses 4 and 5 as our text this morning. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the temptations that a Christian can fall into is the temptation of materialism. And perhaps that's especially pertinent to us living in the time and place that we do. Our modern society is a very materialistic society that a national holiday called Thanksgiving Day even exists in America almost starts to feel like a bad joke. Are the people of our nation thankful as they eat themselves sick today and drink themselves drunk today? Are they really thankful as they feverishly click and buy to get the best deals during the Black Friday craze? It's tempting for Christians also to get caught up in this celebration of stuff and more stuff 
during the holidays. And we need to hear the word of God to be content then, not to trust in riches, to be sober. The Christian may not walk in lasciviousness, in lusts, in excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries as the unbelievers do. To quote from 1 Peter 4, verse 3, materialism is a real temptation the Christian can fall into. However, the Bible also warns against another temptation, which we might say is on the opposite side of the path. The Christian who flees from materialism, rightly, may be tempted thereby to think that material itself then is evil. So when a Christian sees the men of this world full of drunkenness, he may overreact and condemn his brother who has a glass of wine in his hand. Or when a Christian becomes rightfully disgusted with the sexual filth of this world, he may overreact to the point where sex itself becomes something unholy and dirty. He may think, in other words, that evil is the thing itself and that a person becomes tainted just by using those things. The text that we're looking at this morning primarily addresses the second of those two temptations. Our text teaches us that every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused. What keeps the child of God from falling into materialism during the holidays, in other words, is not to condemn material as an evil thing in itself. What keeps the child of God on the straight way is when his heart is filled with genuine and sincere thanksgiving for the good creatures that God has given him, which creatures are sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So I call our attention this morning to this text, and the theme for the sermon is thankfully receiving good creatures. First, what is the meaning of this statement and the instruction that we receive here? And then secondly, in light of that, what is the manner in which we should receive the creatures God gives us? And then what is the reason for that? Thankfully receiving good creatures, the meaning, the manner, and the reason. The text says in verse 4 that every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused. So the first thing we have to do is identify the creatures that the apostle has in mind. What are the creatures that he is referring to? Well, a creature, just to give a very simple, perhaps somewhat obvious definition, a creature is anything that is created by the creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. At first, the heavens and the earth were a great, dark, vast emptiness, which Genesis 1 verse 2 describes as without form and void. Then over the course of six days, God filled that vast emptiness with creatures. He dispelled the darkness with the light that he created on the first day. He banished the quietness with the waves that began to lap on the shore and the birds singing in the trees and the fish jumping in the early morning. 
He filled the universe with creatures. Now sometimes the Bible describes the whole universe or the cosmos as God's creature. Romans 8 verse 19, for example, puts it that way when it says, The earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. That's talking about the whole creation. But other times the individual creatures are singled out as in that catalog of God's works that is found in Psalm 104 that we sang a moment ago in Psalter 286. The creatures are the springs of water in the valleys that give drink to the beasts of the field and to the donkeys. The creatures are the wine that makes glad the heart of man, the oil that makes his face to shine, the bread that strengthens his heart. And there are many, many more creatures. So you see, children, creatures are not simply the kind of creatures that move around on the face of the earth that we call animals. The animals who walk and fly and swim are certainly God's creatures. Monkeys, giraffes, dogs, elephants, bugs, these are all creatures, and that's maybe how we use the word most often nowadays. But so are plants and trees, so are rocks and clouds, so are stars and the dirt on the ground, so are streams and oceans and everything else. A creature is anything that the Creator has made. That includes food and drink. That includes the clothes on your back. That includes you, yourself. And the creator, of course, is God. Verse 4 says that these creatures are of God. Every creature of God is good. God is the one who in the beginning called the creatures that were not as though they were, so that all the things that we see came out of nothing in response to God's word of command. God is the one who continues to uphold all creatures with the power of his providence. God is the, the one who wisely designed all of these creatures so that they fill into the, fit into the whole scheme of the universe. From the vast heavens to the small details found in a molecule, the wisdom and the power of God is seen in his creatures. Now verse 3, in the context draws our attention specifically to two creatures in particular, which are marriage and meat. Marriage is a creature of God. When God created the human race, he created them male and female. And when he created the human race male and female, he created marriage. And God's creation of marriage includes all the aspects of marriage. It includes the roles of marriage, of the wise and sacrificial leadership and headship of the husband and the loving submission and patience of the wife. When God created marriage, he created the sexual aspects of marriage and the way that husbands and wives relate to one another, to enjoy one another in marriage. Marriage is a creature of God. Meats. That's a creature of God. 
And notice not only meat in the singular, as in the meat of an animal, that's how we normally use the word, but meats plural, as in all the different kinds of food that you can find in the creation. Everything that you might possibly eat. God created fruits and vegetables. God did create the animals. And he told Noah and his sons, and through them, he told us that these creatures would be meat for them. It's okay to kill and eat the animals that God has created. God created a seemingly endless variety of meats in the creation of all different colors and all different flavors. But these two examples are not the only creatures that the apostle has in mind in our text, for he speaks of every creature. But there is a reason why he singles out marriage and meats. Part of the reason marriage and meats are singled out is because we don't, strictly speaking, need those creatures in order to live a healthy, productive, and functional life. You can live your life unmarried and be pleasing to God in your unmarried state. You can eat very sparingly sticking pretty much to bread and water and maybe a few other things in your diet. You don't need to have a Thanksgiving Day feast with all of its abundance and all of its variety in order to survive and live a functional, productive life. You don't need to experience sex and marriage or the other enjoyments of marriage in order to serve God and to live faithfully in your calling. And we could add other examples to such creatures sitting around the table and talking about life and laughing at the jokes that your uncle might tell you. These two are creatures of God. God's the one who created family and family relationships. God's the one who created the wood that we form into tables that we sit around. God's the one that created the voice box that makes it possible to speak and communicate. And God's the one who created life in such a way that there's a humorous side to life and there's enjoyment out of laughter listening to the beautiful music that comes from a piano or from a violin. These are creatures of God who made sound waves and who made our ears in a way that register those sound waves. And he created wood and he created metal and he created ivory, all the supplies that go into making these musical instruments. Playing an afternoon football game with with our cousins, God created us with legs and arms and he created open, wide fields of grass that can be played upon. Strictly speaking, we don't need any of those things. We don't need musical instruments. We don't need a game like football. We don't need laughter. But these are creatures of God. Like marriage, like meat. These are creatures of God. And they're good. Every creature of God is good. And nothing to be refused. What does that mean? That these creatures of God are good? Or what does the text mean to convey to us by putting it that way? Well, good in this context needs to be understood rightly. It does not mean good in the way that God is good. There's a unique way in which God is good. There's a way that God is good 
that sets him aside and apart from all creatures, making him uniquely good. God is good, essentially, in his being. He's good. And he's good as the source of all other goods. As the Belgic Confession puts it in Article 1, he is the overflowing fountain of all good. Jesus once said that there is none good but God. And you scratch your head when you say that and you think, aren't there other good things? But the point is, there's a unique sense in which God is good. And if we treat creatures as good in the way that God is good, well, that's the path toward idolatry. So when he says all creatures are good and nothing to be refused, he doesn't mean good in the way that God is good. Good does not either mean morally good. He's not making a moral judgment about these creatures when he makes this statement. You might be thinking to yourself right now about certain creatures or certain possibilities within the creation or certain aspects of the creation which seem in and of themselves to be bad or to lead in a direction that is bad or hard drugs such as cocaine or opium, good creatures of God, you may be wondering, or certain forms of music like rock music or rap music, good creatures of God. And you can come up with your own examples, perhaps. But notice that in these examples, the problem is not with the creature itself, but the problem is with the way the creature is used. Music is not evil. What is evil is using music to promote rebellion and to promote fornication and to promote evil doing, which often those mediums of rock and rap music are used to do. Drugs are not evil. They're just substances. substances. What is evil is using those drugs in a way that is against the laws of the land or that is for intoxication and for partying or in a way that you become addicted to the substance and so turn it into an idol. A stone is a good creature of God. But it's not good for a man to take that stone and to throw it at somebody in wicked anger. So he's not making necessarily a moral judgment when he says every creature of God is good. The creatures themselves are neutral in that respect. Good means excellent, acceptable, proper, profitable, even beautiful, when used in the right manner. Excellent, profitable, beautiful. Considered apart from the way human beings use the creature, the creature is good. And it's not good because of anything in the creature itself, but it's good because God said so. Remember in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, after each successive day, he said, Behold, it is very good. And though the creature currently is under bondage in the curse because of the sin of man, so that it brings forth thorns and thistles, and so that men have to work and eat bread in the sweat of their face, nevertheless, God still regards his creation and his creatures as good. So much so that he intends one day to redeem his creation from the bondage of corruption and to make it even better in the new heavens and the new earth that are coming. 
But bottom line, beloved, is this. Meats are good. And you can receive them. Your taste buds are not deceiving you when they tell you that pumpkin pie is delicious. God created all of the ingredients and he created the world in such a way that those ingredients are possible so that we can have a delicious meat such as pumpkin pie or or whatever it is that you're going to enjoy this afternoon. Marriage is good. It's good that marriage produces family and children. It's good that marriage fulfills a functional role in our lives. It's good also that within marriage, husbands and wives enjoy one another, enjoy fellowship with one another, enjoy sexual intimacy with one another. Having a day off of work to spend time with family and friends and to enjoy a feast is good. Using our bodies, our strong, healthy bodies to play a game of backyard football game or or to play a board game inside is good. Every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused. That has to be proclaimed and stated because sometimes it is taught that these things are to be refused. Sometimes it is taught that creatures or certain specific creatures are to be refused as unholy in themselves. The apostle warns about this. Verse 3 warns about false teachers who will appear in the church forbidding to marry commanding to abstain from meats. They will say things like, marriage is unholy. The sexual union in marriage is dirty and unsanctified. God does not approve of this. God does not approve of that pleasure that husbands and wives enjoy. Those meats, they're unholy. They're too sweet. They're too enjoyable. You may only eat this kind of meat and not that kind of meat. And in this way, false teachers will bind the consciences of God's people so that they feel as though they are sinning when all they are doing is receiving good creatures of God. And just as the apostle warned in this passage, this error has appeared over the course of church history, and and it's very much alive and well today. Monks in the Roman Catholic Church say that it is more holy to stay unmarried And to avoid certain meats, you are a better Christian, a more holy person. If you never have sex, even in the context of marriage, and if you shun all pleasure from your life, people today, perhaps, under the banner of veganism, forbid eating the meat of animals or other products of animals, and they do so on moral grounds, not just as a as a lifestyle preference, but on moral grounds. It's cruel to eat meat, they say. You shouldn't do it. God doesn't approve of that. Similar attitudes, though subtler, might find their way into our own attitudes and our own consideration and judgment of one another. We would perhaps know better so that we don't forbid someone outright from receiving God's good creatures. But maybe we would do it with a raised eyebrow or a tone of feigned surprise when we hear that so-and-so received such-and-such of a creature 
Do you see the kind of car he drives? Why does a Christian have to drive a car like that? Can you believe what kind of clothes she wears? Why do they have to be so bright? Why do they have to come from that place? Now, that may all be fine and well if the brother is using good creatures to walk in sin or is putting his family in a spiritually dangerous place. But too often, that's not what it's about, is it? Too often, we adopt a spirit of judgment simply because we have an opinion or because that's not the way that it was done in the old days or because that's not the way that we prefer that it be done. Or maybe it's because that's something that I really, really want, but I can't have, so I judge that person for having it. Without realizing it, we adopt the attitude of those false teachers who forbid to marry and command to abstain from meats as if our own personal opinions are the way to holiness rather than the word of God. But the Bible says that God's good creatures are nothing to be refused. We may not forbid what is not forbidden by God. And notice how strongly the apostle condemns this error. Those who forbid to marry and command to abstain from meats have departed from the faith. They have given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. It's the devil who wants us to think that God's creatures are the problem rather than our use of them. Because then we're pointing the finger at the creator rather than ourselves. Don't give in to that lie. And don't be ashamed, beloved, to receive God's good creatures. There may be occasions when we judge it best not to use a particular creature for a particular reason in our own lives. Maybe we abstain from alcohol if that has become a source of temptation to us. Maybe we live in singleness if we have the gift of continence or for another reason. But the creatures that we do receive, we may receive them with a clean conscience, provided we receive them with thanksgiving. And they are sanctified by the word of God in prayer. That brings us to the manner of our receiving of these creatures. The improper manner of receiving God's good creatures would be with an unthankful attitude. What would an unthankful attitude be as we receive creatures? Well, an unthankful attitude on the one hand might be an attitude of entitlement. That is an attitude in which we view these creatures and our having of them and our possessing of them and our using of them as rights. I deserve. I deserve more than just bread and water on my table. I deserve to have a big supper on Thanksgiving Day and to have a cupboard packed full with all kinds of good meats. I deserve to be married. And I deserve not only to be married, but to have a marriage that makes me happy. And if I don't get what I deserve, I'm going to make a stink about it. That's an entitlement attitude. And an entitlement attitude is inherently unthankful. 
the truth, beloved, is that God doesn't owe you a thing, or me. He doesn't owe us a thing. We're not entitled to a thing in ourselves, not even our next breath. An unthankful attitude, on the other hand, might be a fussy attitude. I don't want the good creatures that God gave me. I want the good creatures that God gave him. I don't want the food on my table. I want the food on her table. I don't want the family God gave me. I don't want the marriage God gave me. I want theirs. And we become discontent and we become fussy. An unthankful attitude at bottom is a disobedient attitude. Imagine a father gives his son $20. Then the boy takes that $20 and goes off and buys something that his father expressly told him he may not have. Well, we'd say that that boy is ungrateful. Very ungrateful. Well, what about when God gives good creatures to men? And then men take those good creatures and they bow down to them and they worship and serve them as gods. Or what if God gives good creatures to men and they take those good creatures and they use them to drink themselves drunk even though God forbids drunkenness. Or they fill their stomachs to the point where they're being gluttonous and making themselves sick. Or they take the beautiful gift of sex and marriage as God designed it and they turn it into something dirty and vile and corrupt as in all sexual immorality. That's disobedience. And it's inherently unthankful. It's like taking a good gift from the Creator and then spitting in His face. And ingratitude is a trademark of unbelief. Romans 1 verse 21 says, When they, that is, unbelieving men, knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. But instead of living in gratitude to God for His good creatures, they rejected the Creator and worshipped and served the creature. And maybe they did that by worshiping it as an idol, or maybe they did that becoming addicted, by becoming addicted to the substance or, 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 or chasing the almighty dollar or whatever it is. But it's clear that the hearts of men are after the creature rather than the creator. That's ungrateful. And it's unbelief. And the good creatures of God in that way do become a curse to the unbeliever. The creature itself may be good, but the wicked heart of man uses it in a way that brings down God's judgment on him. And the more good creatures he's given, the greater the judgment is because the greater the accountability he has. That's what Asaph means when he talks about the wicked being set in slippery places in Psalm 73. They have all of this wealth, all of this, these material possessions, and it sets them in slippery places because their hearts chase after that, that stuff rather than after God, and it leads them down into greater and greater accountability for their sins, and the judgment of God falls upon them. Do any of us find ingratitude in our hearts regarding the good creatures that God has given to us? Do we think that we are entitled 
to the things that we're going to enjoy today or the things that we have every day? Are we discontent and fussy about the things that God has given me? Do we use our creatures to disobey God and His commandments and to serve ourselves and our own pleasure? It's a sign of unbelief in the heart, beloved. And that must be repented of. The Word of God calls us to repent of that, to turn from it. Don't celebrate Thanksgiving Day today with an entitlement attitude, with an attitude of discontent. The proper manner of receiving God's creatures is with thanksgiving. Every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. What's that look like? Well, thankful attitude is a humble attitude. Not an entitlement attitude, a humble attitude. Maybe I'll go home this morning and this afternoon I'll find that on my table there is a feast fit for a king. Maybe there will be so many options on the table of meats that I won't even have room on my plate for all of them. Or maybe I'll go home and I'll find a simple loaf of bread sitting there and a pitcher with water in it, maybe some vegetables. Either way, if I'm thankful, if I have a humble spirit toward God, I will recognize with humility that it's God's hand that put it there. Whatever it is that's on my table, it's God's hand that put it there. It's his creatures that he gave to me. And I don't deserve a single one of them. So I'll receive it with thanksgiving. A thankful attitude is an obedient attitude. So that I tremble at the thought that I would use God's good creatures in a way that would dishonor him. That I would take that $20 bill and use it to do something that I know my father expressly forbids that I do. So my use of God's good creatures will be informed by his word, including his commandments and his laws. I want to know what God says about how to use his good creatures how to stay within good boundaries in my use of those good creatures. And I'm going to stay within those good boundaries. Thankfully, that's thanksgiving, beloved. You can't say that you're thankful while you're walking in open rebellion. It doesn't add up. And thanksgiving is the trademark of faith. Lord's Day 24 says that it is impossible that those who are implanted into Christ by a true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. A believer will bring forth fruits of thankfulness. That's because the believer knows that the same God who created all of these good creatures is the God who saved and redeemed him through his son, Jesus Christ. And such knowledge cannot leave a man, woman, or child unmoved, unstirred, and unthankful. He must give thanks. He must... Show his gratitude. And how do we do that? By our use of the creatures that God gives us. By the use of our life. To the believer, God's good creatures 
therefore become a blessing and not a curse. They're, they're not a blessing in and of themselves. To the wicked, they become a curse. But to the child of God, the believing child of God, they become a blessing. That's because to the child of God, whatever shows up on his table, he recognizes it comes from his father. And if father loved me so much that he saved me from wrath and destruction through his son's death on the cross, then I know he has also given me these good creatures for my good and profit, and I can receive them in a right way for his glory and for his honor. Well, that brings us to the reason. Why is every creature of God good and nothing to be refused by the believer? Why must the believer not be afraid to marry? Why must he not forbid others from marrying? Why must we not command others to abstain from meats? And the answer the text gives is in verse 5, which is that these creatures are sanctified for the believer. Sanctified means set aside, devoted and consecrated for their use by God. Think about the temple and the vessels in the temple. Those vessels were sanctified, which means you may use these vessels in common everyday activities. They're, they're set aside for use in the temple in the service of God. So God's creatures that he gives to his people are set aside uh, for his believing children. And they're sanctified for their use in a way that's approved by him. So it's holy in God's eyes. It's sanctified when a believing husband and wife receive and use and enjoy the marital union that he has given them. It's holy in God's eyes when a believing family gathers around the table and enjoys the fruits of the creation that God has given them this year. The believer must not feel ashamed of that. The believer must not feel embarrassed about that. The believer must not feel guilty when he receives with thanksgiving the good creatures that God has given him or her. And that becomes evident in the way believers use these good creatures of God. Many today will receive good creatures on their tables. Many in our nation, many in our world will receive good creatures, but they will not receive them thankfully. They will list off a few things they are thankful for, perhaps, but when supper time arrives, everyone will plunge themselves into the meal and there will not be a single word of thanks to God, not a sincere word of thanks. If the Bible is there in the house, it's going to stay under a shelf, uh, under a pile of dust on the shelf. The creatures that God gives are good because God only gives good things, but the unthankful use of them makes them unholy because there's no prayer offered expressing that thanksgiving, and there's no recognition of the rights of God by reading his word. The believer, however, receives God's creatures through the word of God in prayer. Not that simply opening the Bible and reading those words out loud or rambling off a few oft-repeated petitions sanctifies these things all by itself. But when the word of God is open on the table, 
and it's read and it's considered and it's digested and it's talked about. That's symbolic of something important. And what it's symbolic of is the faith that these individuals and these families have in the God who has given that word and in the God who is revealed in that word. And when prayer is offered from the heart, that too is an outflow of the faith of the believer. And ultimately, that's why these good creatures are sanctified through the word of God in prayer. Because the word of God and prayer are symbols of the faith of God's people as they receive these creatures from him, from his hand. Ultimately, such a home and such a meal and such creatures are sanctified by the blood of the Savior who is believed in. Because as the word of God says, through Christ, all things are ours. All things are not ours simply because they exist and because we're here, but all things are ours through Christ, through his redeeming sacrifice, through his cross. And that's acknowledged when we have our Bibles open, when we turn to God in prayer and express thankfulness, not only for the creatures that we receive, but for the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. So, beloved, on this Thanksgiving Day, let's receive God's good creatures. But let's let's receive those good creatures in the right manner, in the spirit of thanksgiving. And let's do so with our Bibles open and looking up to God in prayer and trusting that for Christ's sake, he will make these good creatures, which for many wicked in the world are not profitable for them, actually set them in slippery places, yet for us, through Christ, you will make them profit us. Let us, beloved, thankfully receive God's good creatures. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee that as a faithful creator and father, thou dost provide us with many good things. Give us a right appreciation for the source of these creatures and a right attitude as we receive them and a right use of them. And we pray that thou sanctify these good gifts through thy word and through prayer that they may be set aside for our use. Keep us then, O Father, from a spirit of wrongful judgmentalism like those false teachers who forbid marriage and forbid the use of meats and keep us also from a spirit of materialism and self-seeking. But grant that we may walk on that middle way, the straight and narrow way, looking up unto thee, our God, as the only source of all good and the overflowing fountain of all good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.